And if ever there was a house divided, it was in the home of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed the things Esau enjoyed. So he enjoyed getting out in nature, riding a four-wheeler, shooting turkeys, all that stuff, deer, deer hunting. So he was a hunter, right? So Isaac loved Esau. And then also in Genesis 25, it says, And Rebekah loved Jacob, I suppose because he liked to cook. I don't know. But he was also a watcher of the, of the flock around the home. And so we have this sort of daddy's boy, Esau the hunter. Legend says he wore the garment of Adam that he took from Nimrod. Long story in that one. But he had this sort of rough and tumble look about him, his clothing. We also have mommy's boy, Jacob, the herdsman. He must have learned his culinary skills at home with mom. Esau was impetuous. He wanted nothing more than what he wanted. And he wanted it when he wanted it. And he wanted it now. And the first words we hear from him are in Genesis 25, down in verse 30. He says, I'm hungry. Take whatever you want. Just feed me. I'm faint. Jacob was opportunistic. Remember, he's always trying to look for an advantage. And so in that way, uh, he now speaks to his brother. And the first words we hear him say, Genesis 25, down in verse 31. And he says, sell me thy birthright, and I'll give you some food. Well, that's a pretty, pretty great exchange for him. And look at the response of this uh, impetuous fellow Esau down in verse 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit is it if I die? If I, so I, the, the birthright does me nothing if I'm dead. But the opportunistic Jacob wasn't willing to settle for word of mouth, leave it with that sort of hasty promise. So in verse 33 he says, Swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright for this porridge, for this pottage. And at least it seems... Jacob understood the importance of the birthright, but oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Do you know that phrase? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And we'll see the rest of his life is an effect of what he has just done. As Jacob spins his deceitful web, the story continues, and we see Jacob's lie as we go on in verse uh, skip ahead, if you would, over to chapter 27. The lie is actually first conceived by his mother, Rebecca, and she overhears the feeble uh, Isaac talking to Esau and verse 1, 27 verse 1. And it came to pass when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, so he's got cataracts, no surgery to, to correct it, so that he could not see. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old, and I am not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, thy bow. Go out into the field and take me some venison. Make some savory meat, such as you know I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee, bless you, uh, Esau, before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake unto Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison, and Rebekah spake to her son, Jacob. She's got a plan. Remember, Isaac loved Esau because he shared his love for fresh venison in this case. 
And after Esau has set out to satisfy his father's request, Rebekah calls for Jacob, and we hear the deceitful plan unhatched. Jacob is to steal the father's blessing. Genesis 27, still down in verse 9. Go now to the flock. So this is Rebekah talking to, uh, to her son, Jacob. Go now to the, to the flock. Fetch me uh, thence two good kids of goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loves. And thou shalt bring it to the father, that he may eat, that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm smooth. My father, peradventure, will feel me. So he'll feel my hands, he'll smell my clothes, he'll know that I'm a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, not a blessing. So the very opposite of what I desire, and his mother said unto, me, unto him, Be it upon me, your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice, go and fetch what I've asked. It's not that Jacob was above lying. <laughs> he just didn't want to get caught, right? I don't know about you, but I can almost hear a whiny sort of tone of voice in Jacob's uh, speech now. But mom, you know, and this sort of spiteful resentment that's been building over the years with Rebecca toward her husband and from my experience, every young man who sounds like this has a mother who sounds like that in the home. Rebecca is an overprotective mother. She's trying to overcompensate for whatever lack the father has in the home. This mother, who is doing Esau's laundry earlier that day, is planning to cut him out of the family inheritance by the afternoon. And you talk about a story of desperate housewives. Look down at verse, still in chapter 27, go down to verse 15. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house. So she's doing his laundry. And she put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats that they just killed to fix the meat upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. Do you have any shoes with uh, goat skin lining? No? I got a pair of boots. They're not on me now, but I got a pair of boots. With, and that's some, it's soft, but you know it. You know, it's, it's, you feel the difference there. And she gave savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of, uh, of Jacob to uh, take it to her father, uh, to the husband and to his father. And while the mother puts the finishing touches on the meal, Jacob is getting dressed for his part in this deceitful plan and then with Rebekah coaxing him on from the doorway, I suppose, Jacob lies to his father and he seals this moment of deceit with a kiss down in verse 18. The father says, who are you? He says, I'm Jacob. Uh, I am Esau, or excuse me, he says unto him, I am Esau, the firstborn. Uh, I pray thee, sit and eat. The father asks that I may bless thee. And uh, you know the story, per perhaps, of how it turns out he, he buys the lie and he falls into the trap. What you may not know, and I want to take you back to this, just to put this in your mind, what you may not know or may not remember, it was, part of it was read in our scripture reading this morning, but if you go back to chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25, down in verse 23, I don't know how it would have worked out. But remember with Abraham, 
how his wife thought, you know, she had to sort of help God out. Rebecca's kind of maybe thinking the same thing. But, but look here, and Genesis 25 and verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, to Rebecca, There are two nations in your womb. The manner of two people shall be separated from thy vows. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And if you didn't have this last phrase, you might assume that it's going to be Esau, this you know, outdoorsman, it's going to be stronger than Jacob. But the elder, Esau, shall serve the younger, Jacob. So we've already got the promise. This is what's going to happen to any mother or grandmother who feels you have to compensate for the failures of the father in the home. And believe me, as a father, I know my weaknesses are many. Just be careful, ladies, mothers, grandmothers. Be careful that you may not be doing your sons and your daughters any favor if you try to curry favor by doing an end run around the father's authority in the home. I'm just putting that out there. I know there's a lot of deadbeat fathers, and I'm, there's a lot of things we can talk about. I get that. But if you're undermining your mate in this relationship, you're not doing any favors to your children in the process. Undermining the father only ever undermines authority of God. It sets you both up for a lifetime of hardship and sorrow. Keep mutual respect in the home between husbands and, uh, and their wives. I, and I don't mean you have many, but, but I can, I, how many times do I tell a young couple the most important thing, more important than your children knowing you love them, is for your children to know that you love their father or that you love their mother. Don't undermine that relationship in the home. It's setting them up for some terrible problems to come. Now with the birthright and blessing in hand, Jacob leaves the tent, right? Within minutes, it seems, Esau now approaches his father's tent. Perhaps he even sees Jacob in the distance with his mother walking back to the tent, and he's maybe thinking to himself, well, that's odd. I wonder what they were up to. And immediately Esau uncovers the plan. Now we're back to chapter 27, down in verse 32. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who are you? <laughs> and he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac, now he's, he's trembling, and he said, Who? Where is he that's taken venison and brought it me, and I have eaten of all before thou came, and have blessed him? Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with great and exceeding bitter cry. I wonder if mom and Jacob heard him and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and he has taken away thy blessing. Now I throw this in here just to give you some sense of, you know, you remember the story of Sleeping Beauty? You, you remember how the three fairies couldn't undo the curse? But they just said maybe he'll live long enough or she'll live long enough to overcome. I think that's all the father has left to give. 
And so in verse 39 down through 40, And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be with fatness of the earth, and with the dew of heaven from above. I can't undo the blessing I just gave away. I can't undo that. And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have dominion, you have the opportunity, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob, his brother. Do you see what mom's plan has done? And so we have the deadly plot now for Esau to kill his brother down in verse 41. And as we continue on, And wherewith his father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, so dad's going to die soon. And when dad is dead, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill my brother. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told unto Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, so now that you tell a lie, you've, you've got to do something else, right? Every time you deceive, you have to do something else to cover up your tracks. And uh, so Esau is touching the, uh, you know, his, his hatred doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, so your uncle, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, and notice this, few days, until thy brother's fury is turned away until thy brother's anger turn away from thee and he forget that which thou hast done you think, do you think he's that Esau is going to forget what Jacob's done then I will send and fetch thee from thence why should I be deprived also of you both on the same day but what she has done will take away everything she's ever loved Rebecca must not only convince Jacob to flee, she's now going to try to get Isaac to bless Jacob in his purpose to leave. So, she's got a pretty clever idea. She reminds her husband, verse 46, you remember, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters. These are her daughters-in-law, the daughters of Heth, who've married Jacob. I am Sick and tired of my, my daughters-in-law. And um, I, don't want, I don't want Jacob to take one of these women, such as which are of the daughters of the land. What shall my life do to me? It's just going to be miserable. So she convinced it would be better for him to head home to her family. Verse 1, chapter 28, And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Drop down to verse uh, 5. And Isaac went away, and, uh, sent away Jacob, and he went to Padaram and Laban, son of Bethuel, and the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. As a side note, do you remember how long Rebekah thought this might last? A few days? maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or two until the bad blood between the brothers that she stirred up would die down. But what she thought might be just a little while turned into to nearly 20 years. Her son has left, and she will die alone 
never seeing her son again. All of which illustrates the truth Jesus repeats over and over and over again. Whoever would try and save his life, that is, you try and get an advantage in your life, you live for yourself, you live for the things that you enjoy, not for the things of the Lord. Whoever would save his life, what does the Lord Jesus say? You will, you'll lose it. So whenever you try to work the will of God to your own advantage, remember that's Jacob's name, supplanter, to work it to my advantage, you always lose the joy of living. Remember, God not only promises to work all things together for His glory, but also for your good. Romans 8. Just don't ever seek your good before His glory. That's getting the cart before the horse, right? Don't ever seek your good before His glory, or you'll lose both. But if you'll seek His glory first, what does it tell you in Matthew 6, 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then what? All these things. What things? Your plans, your, your dreams. Your, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be cared for. God has promised Jacob all things, but Rebecca thought she needed to ensure the outcome. And I think, as a result, she lost her son. Whatever else faith is, it is obedience that leaves the result with God. Don't disobey God in the short term thinking that it's worth the outcome. It's not. We see it here in her life, the misery that she lived through. Whatever else faith is, it is obedience that leaves the outcome with God. Well, we move on in the story of this young man. We come to Jacob's love now. He's gone on to find true love, right? And uh, it was on this journey to find true love that we have the story of Jacob's ladder. You remember that? And you sang a little song as you were a child about Jacob's ladder. I won't, I won't sing the tune for you. But much has been made of the dream. Basically, it's the confirmation of God's covenant that was made, first of all, to Abraham. It was passed on to Isaac. And now it's confirmed in Jacob, even though he was a deceiver. Verse 28, or excuse me, chapter 28, down in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and said, so above this ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereupon thou liest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed. So this promise of the seed the coming Messiah, Jesus, is now continuing. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And if you have any reference in your Bible, that's a messianic uh, reference there. Thou shalt spread abroad the west and to the east and north and south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Everything we say we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ is through Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, through the people of Israel. Remember that somehow, even if Esau had kept the physical favor of his father, even somehow, if the mother hadn't worked all that deceit, somehow the blessing, remember the blessing back in chapter 25, was promised to Jacob. It was forever Jacob's to have. I don't know how it would have worked out, but that was the promise. Jacob now responds to the Lord's promise with a promise of his own. It sounds a pretty typical prayer that you and I have prayed. Jacob bowed, bowed, saying, God, if you'll be with me, 
and you'll keep me in this way that I will go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. If you provide for my family so that I'll come again to my father's house in peace. Remember the old brother who wants to kill me? Then shall the Lord be my God. That's a, that's a bargain, right? That's a foxhole conversion. That's the guy who's in a desperate way who says, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do that. Now, save this for later because you'll see it come up again. For now, just remember that irregardless of what you have done, I don't think Jacob, to point, is a very good example of how to live your life. Regardless of what you have done, Jacob didn't deserve this blessing. And oh, by the way, neither do I, and neither do you. This blessing that has come by way of Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes, as was read this morning, the Lord can bless who He wants to bless, and this is His plan, and those who believe to receive this eternal blessing through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not those who deserve it, those who believe it. But just like many new believers, Jacob is feeling pretty good about himself now in this confirmation of blessing. And so with that, he sets out to complete his journey, find his true love, start his family, etc., etc. But he immediately finds out that believing God doesn't settle all your problems, and not everybody understands that I'm blessed of God. And they don't always play fair. And that's what he finds out as he visits his future father-in-law, Laban. So in chapter 29, we see the deception of, of Laban. Jacob is smitten with the beauty of Rachel. Have you ever been smitten with the beauty of a long, red-haired lady? I think you have. You ever been smitten with the beauty, where's my wife, of a... Right? Like the country song says, you, you'll recognize him by the way he looks at me. Right? You know that song? Yeah. But this woman shows up at the well, sisters. He's smitten with Rachel. The New Living Translation puts it pretty plainly down in verse 17. I'll read it this way. Leah had pretty eyes, but Rachel was beautiful in every way. A lovely face and a shapely figure. I mean, this guy, as we would say, has got it bad. Now, many of you know the story of Jacob working for seven years to marry the girl of his dreams, in which time I'm sure, I'm sure Laban thought, that'll give me plenty of time to marry off Leah. Right? I'll find someone for her. Seven years. I'll get some free labor. It'll all work out just fine. The problem was Leah didn't attract a suitor. Now it's going to be additional shame, not only on Leah, but on the father, if Rachel gets married before Leah. So when the wedding night comes, Laban sends in Leah rather than Rachel. And Jacob is certainly drawn in by her beautiful eyes, but it's not long before he realizes he has been deceived by his father-in-law. Now he's offended, but wait a minute, who are we talking about? Have you lived your life? The tangled web we weave. What goes around 
often comes around. But along the way, Leah gives him six sons and a daughter. All the time he's working now for the hand of his true love, Rachel. God remembered Rachel also, opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son and called his name Joseph. I've just jumped ahead in the story, but just to give you the sense that now the promise continues. So we've got from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and eventually to Joseph. Well, what goes around has come around, and he's living this lie, and he's trying to undo all the things that he's gone through. In my experience, it's like a a college professor. Uh, When you're at, when you're working at a college, and let's say you write things, you discover things, you do things, and you decide to leave the college, guess who has ownership of everything you've done? The university. So we've got Jacob working for the father-in-law, and it's time now to leave. He's accomplished everything he wants, and now he's got his true love, and it's time to leave. And Laban looks at Jacob and says, that's fine. But everything you've done here is who? It's mine. Can't take it with you. Make a long story short, Jacob uses some tricks of cattle breeding. Read about it in Genesis chapter 30. I'm sure he learned that when he was with his mother back home, tending to the flock. Laban suspects something is amiss. And so Jacob, who remember had fled from his brother, now flees again to get away from his father-in-law. It's tracking him. He can't get away from it. And now we read this tangled web that goes on in chapter 31. You can see it. And finally, I'm coming to Jacob's lessons. In all of this time, now over to chapter 32. You remember the promise that Jacob made to the Lord in that dream? You remember the promise? Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. And now he's greatly blessed. He's got more with him to feed his family to clothe his children. Jacob now has arrived at the border of his hometown. It's separated by a a river. We'll see that in a moment. He sees his brother Esau perhaps off in the distance. He knows the anger has been simmering for 20 years. He's not gotten over it. In fact, it seems that Esau has come out to meet Jacob with 400 men. And remember, there's no mother around to protect him. So Jacob, the supplanter, who knows how to manipulate the moment, he sends ahead what I'll call a peace offering, chapter 32, down in verse 6. Chapter 32, down in verse 6. So the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and... He still, he still hates you. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so he divides the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And he said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. 
And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, which thou said unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred. So I've come, I'm here, I've returned. And he sends over these two groups of people. You finally look at what the brave, this little brave mama's boy does down in verse 21. And so he so went the present over before him and, and himself lodged that night in the company. So he stays behind with his immediate family. He rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the, this, uh, this river, this ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that which he had. And Jacob stayed behind. He's left alone. So he sends over all that he has. Jacob is now alone, all alone. And I got to tell you, it's when you are alone, that sometimes God finally has your attention. So he wrestles with God. You know this story too, right? Wrestles with God, the joint out of hip, etc. Jacob's angelic opponent dislocates his hip and is about to go when Jacob, perhaps limping in pain, refuses to let him go. And he's holding on to the heel of this perhaps pre-incarnate Christ, wouldn't let him go, much as he had held on to the heel of Esau so many years ago. This angelic opponent, and the reason I say it's likely the Lord, if you would like, you can write it down, go back to Hosea chapter 12, and you'll see it there in the first few verses, why it relates, I think, to the Lord Jesus. And he turns back and he takes this, this visitor who's just dislocated Jacob's hip, Jacob limping, hanging on, he turns and he says something interesting, and I think it takes him off guard a little bit, and that's in verse 27. And so he said unto him, what's your name? Don't you think this, this angelic, perhaps the Lord himself, knew his name? And he says, Jacob supplanter, deceiver. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob the deceiver is now known as Israel the prince. And the lesson we learn from this wrestling match is that man's greatest ambition, what you hope to accomplish, what you think is going to happen, you're trying to work it out, it's no match for the Lord. Perhaps you know this familiar phrase, you may never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You ever been on a lonely night like that? And you had nowhere to turn. Jacob is the man who to point has been able to work things to his advantage. But now he's between a rock and a hard place. If he went back, who does he face? And if he goes forward, who does he face? He's got nowhere to turn. He's got no mom. He's got no one on his side. Behind him is an angry father-in-law. Before him is an angry brother from whom he has stolen the old Jacob has been cunning, self-centered, calculating, deceitful, cowardly. But now we've got a new man. His name is Israel. 
He's prayerful. He's humble. He's sensible with things of God. He's faithful to duty. He's tenacious to the calling of God. We'll see that if you study his life. You remember Saul of Damascus? Remember that we mentioned, I think, in Sunday school this morning, the Damascus Road? Remember his conversion? Saul also wrestled with God. Acts chapter 9, we hear his venomous language, his hatred toward God. And he falls humbly as he's stricken blind. He falls humbly down. And he says, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm Jesus against whom you fight, you struggle. It's hard for you to struggle against me. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me do? And Saul, the murderer, becomes Paul, the apostle. Now, not every conversion is so dramatically told. But spiritually, every person who places their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, His Son Jesus, is as dramatically transformed from darkness into light, from death to life, from alien to air. But there's another opponent that even the children of God often wrestle against, and Jacob still faces this opponent. You know who that might be? Himself. And so I conclude with those who often still wrestle with, I'll call it guilt. Guilt of a past life, the lies you've told, the life you've lived, the things you've been through the stuff you're still dealing with because of all that you've been through. Jacob wrestled with himself all his life, the good never entirely overcoming the bad, yet he always seems to be struggling toward God. And many people, perhaps even some this morning, continue in their struggle like that old country song again. I must listen to country music. One step forward... Some of you listen to the same music I do, two steps back. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you're making some advance? Like, you, like okay, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord wants, and then you get knocked back twice as far. The guilt of the past haunting you in the present and keeping you from loving God and serving God as you desire. Notice that brook. I go back to that brook. You remember the name of it? Jabuk. Guess what Jabuk means? Emptying. Emptying. He has sent over, now I think it was a cowardly act in one way, but he's now sent over everything he's ever lived for. And he's left there all alone. Remember his peace offering. It may be Putting you between a rock and a hard place is what God has to do to get your attention. I would hope not. But I know it will require emptying of yourself in order to do what God wants you to do. Because it's not by you. It's not by your works. As great and terrific as you are, God enables who He will to accomplish what He wants. Until you come to that place, you will continue to wrestle against repeated guilt and failure. The guilt behind you, the failure in front of you, the guilt of relationships that have gone wrong, 
the guilt of resentment that you cannot forgive in yourself, the guilt of forsaken promises that you cannot keep, the guilt of failures that you cannot now undo. Just remember the promise Jacob made to God if he could just return home. If you'll just let me come home, I'll serve you. God held up his end of the bargain, but Jacob's guilt still haunts him. It's keeping him from crossing over Jabbok. There's a young man, perhaps, out in the world today that you know, wandering the streets this morning. He's too full of himself to ever come home. There's a father who's failed his family, and you're burdened with guilt, and you just want your family to be together. There's a mother burdened with children, and maybe it has made you want to walk away from it all. There's a teenager too full of their self, angry with their parents. God hasn't done anything to me, for me, to ever return home. There's a person that's too long tried to satisfy their own need and cannot admit their own failure, too proud to come home. Sometimes we get the idea that people in the Bible, well, they're just head and shoulders above us all. I mean, Jacob, Israel, I mean, you know the story that unfolds in his life. That's just way beyond me, but don't forget where he came from, who he is in the flesh. Jacob was nowhere near perfect, but in the end, he believed the promise of God and would not give up on God until God blessed him and let him come home. I don't know if you've given up on God. I don't think anybody here probably has. But maybe in some secret area, something you're dealing with, or someone you know, it's like they've given up on God. Of one thing you can be sure, God has not given up on you, or you, or you. And that son you're praying for, that daughter, that family member, those friends of yours, God hasn't given up on them. So I just invite you, I invite them, to come home. Come home is pretty much just picking up where you left off and believe that God will from this point forward bless your obedience. Someone is standing at the river Jabbok and something is holding you back. Guilt is chasing you. Fear is facing you. Home is the place you left off serving God and I'm just asking you to come back to that place. And just say, God, if you'll let me come home, I'll serve you. Lord, if you'll just let me come back, and, and yes, with all that has gone, all the baggage of life, that Jacob, all the baggage of life that he has, if you just let me come home, I'll serve you. It may seem cowardly, because I know you like to be in control, but until you give it all up, you got no chance.